So just a, a few minutes before uh, we were about to come up and begin our time, I asked Elizabeth, I said, whoa, that's going to be bad. Um, I asked Elizabeth, I said, hey, would you do that? Would you change your order a little bit? And so I, I asked her to do that song last because really what we're going to be talking about today is putting um, God's love as our foundation. But I, I didn't know all the other songs she was singing and um, boy, I felt like that worship set was for me. Did you feel it was for you? Okay, that is Holy Spirit, folks. Um, and I, I feel led to kind of do a little bit of a bypass of what I was going to talk to you about at first. Um, I call that second to last song, Greater You, Lord. We, our family calls that song the Breathe Fail song. Let me tell you why. Uh, my daughter, she's, uh, I've already told you, she's a junior at Wake Forest, um, thinks God's calling her into, uh, into the ministry. And, but she was in fifth grade, and uh, we, um, we had had a, a bad morning. She was feeling sick. And so it was so bad, she's like, I'm having trouble breathing. And so we took her to Children's Health Care of Atlanta, and they gave her kind of a, a nebulizer treatment. Y'all, some of y'all have experienced that with kids before. It's such a scary thing. But, but Anna was in fifth grade. It wasn't like she was a baby. But they told her that she had croup. And I'm thinking, fifth grader with croup? I'm not so sure about that. But they're the doctors. Great. So we did the treatment. And um, she seemed to be getting a little bit better. And we went home. Uh, later on that day, uh, it was kind of the evening. And Anna was had felt a little bit better, and then she was not feeling good at all. And, and frankly, I was kind of over her whining. Uh, hey, moms, have you been there? <laughs> this is a point of deep disgrace for me, because when you hear the rest of the story. I was like, the doctors already said you're going to be fine. We've got that. We did the prednisone. You know, we, did, we did all the stuff we need to do. And uh, a little bit, the, 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 a few more hours went by, and... She just said, Mom, I, I, I can't breathe. And so finally, she looked so bad, we took her in the car, and she said to me, I'm in the back seat with her, Mark's in the front seat, and if you knew us, we probably should have reversed, because I, I would drive faster than him, <laughs> okay? Um, but I was really glad I was holding her. Uh, but she said to me, uh, Mom, I'm seeing... People with white dresses. I told Mark, drive faster. <laughs> right, and at that point, she passed out. Okay, so we're driving a million miles per hour, or as fast as my husband will drive. We're, go, we're doing that. And we're headed to Children's Healthcare of Atlanta back there. And, uh, I mean, she was out. I, I, I wasn't sure she was going to make it. I mean, I, I, I could tell there was a little bit of breathing, but I wasn't sure. So I'm calling 911 in the back. I'm holding her up because, you know, when people pass out, you know what they're like, right? So I called 911. I said, should we pull over? Should I give her CPR? And they're like, no, just get her here as fast as you can. We got her there to the hospital, and uh, someone sent out a, a wheelchair. And I'm like, she ain't sitting in a wheelchair. And literally, like, five guys held her like this and put, took her in. Now, it was an interesting moment because, you know, I, I watch a few medical shows online and, and, you know, you never want to be the person who everybody's running towards. Like, the whole hospital stopped and went towards her. They were trying to revive her. She couldn't breathe. She was passed out. 
So um, I remember <laughs> a chaplain came over to me. I mean, we were right by my daughter. They're, they're trying to revive her. And the chaplain, I'm, I'm like, <laughs> I said, well, can we pray with you? I'm like, no. <laughs> I want to be by my kid. Has a parent ever had that experience? And I, I, I got to confess in that moment, I, I was, I probably didn't turn to God the way I needed to. I was so scared that my daughter was going to go away from me. So they, they got her back. Uh, they got her back, and they, they had to intubate her, so she was uh, intubated. That was such a scary moment. And then uh, it was uh, t- a tough 24 hours. A doctor friend of mine came in and said, oh, my gosh, I, I'm not sure. told me. I don't think she's going to make it. I'm like, ah, that's what friends are for. Thanks. <laughs> um, but uh, eventually that kid... <laughs> She, she pulled out her own <laughs> intubation. This tell you a lot about her. <laughs> and uh, because of that, uh, they took that to the labs and they found out what, was, what it was. She had bacterial tracheitis. Okay, Doctors don't know why. They'd never seen a case like it. You don't want to be that person, right? But eventually, God brought her back to us. It was a humbling thing because we were at children's health care and, and, and there were a lot of parents who didn't leave with their kids. But God taught me in that moment. You know, God said to me, you're, you're, she's going to get healed. But he didn't tell me where. It could have been heaven. could have been heaven. And so God was teaching me to trust and faith and to say, God, heal her, whether it's here or whether it's in heaven. Now that kid's about to be a pastor. You know, what, a, what an amazing, uh, what an amazing, I'll, I'll never hear that song. It's your breath in our lungs, right? Every time I hear it, I think about Anna. But women, it's you. You may not be in an emergency room about to maybe lose your life. But some of you are on life support here. I know in a, in a room this big, a lot of you don't know where your next breath is coming from. You gotta put your faith and your trust in someone bigger than you. You can't figure it out. I couldn't figure it out. I didn't know what to do in that moment. In those moments when you have less and less and less control, God wants to show you that he is in control. The Breathe Fail song. All right, that uh, I'll try to now kind of recapture myself because every time I, I talk, I think about that song, I really struggle. I'm so glad you all sang that, that music and, and you, you got me ready to say what I think we need to hear today because really... Um, our faith and our trust, so many times we put it in other places, right? And I hope you're going to be thinking about that all uh, week. I want to go back to that phrase we started with. Uh, you know, I have love my time already here. And yesterday we went to that great ice cream place. What was that place called? Marianne's, right? I saw surfers. That was great. Uh, but but I, I got to say, um, I was tired yesterday, right? It had been a long day. 
And so this morning, like, I love it here. I have good hair. I mean, <laughs> there's no humidity here, right? I mean, and that matters when you're a girl, you know? Um, and Sharon took care of me. I got two Diet Cokes this morning. I, I mean, I'm, I'm ready to roll. But it's so important to be ready because God's going to do something in your life this weekend. And, and we said it yesterday, a change of pace and a change of place gives you a change of perspective. So we're going to say it again. Say it with me. A change of pace and a change of place gives you a change of perspective. All right. What is God going to do in you these next days? There's a quote they're going to put up, and it's a kind of a complicated quote, so I hope you got a lot of sleep, because I want to ask you to think about this. It says this, a man, we won't say a man, we'll say a person, a person travels the world over in search of what he needs and returns home to find it. Okay, I'm going to say it again, let me say it again. Oh, it's right there, too. A person travels the world over... Nope, go back, back, back. A person travels the world over in search of what he needs and returns home to find it. Okay, as I did yesterday, I want you to find a buddy. We're going to talk a couple times throughout the message. Uh, talk about that. I'm going to give you a few minutes to do this. I'm not going to buzz you out quick. What does this mean? A person travels the world over in search of what he needs and returns home to find it. What do you think that means? Ready? Go. All right. Keep thinking about that. I told you yesterday our, our, our family made a really hard move away from home three years ago. And uh, we were, it took us a long time to adjust. And we were slowly learning our way around. And, and what happened was our kids were way ahead of us because we were always at church trying to figure out what was going on. But our, our kids didn't have anything to do and they didn't know anybody. So what they did was they explored the town. So they found, uh, the, they, they found where the mall was, and they found Starbucks, and they found Chick-fil-A, and you know, the, all those food groups. Uh, they, 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 they found their sushi spot, and uh, they began to explore what this, uh, this crazy thing called a Wawa was. If you're from that part of the neck of the woods, you know what I'm talking about. And they experienced some of the very best parts of our new town. But there were also some, some things as they were learning about the town that were very, very different from what we were used to. And, and frankly, some things that just really didn't make a lot of sense to us. And here's one of them. In Bethlehem, most intersections have this big sign that says, no turn on right. Now, that's really different red. No, yeah, no turn on red, right? But it meant don't turn right, right? Good, thank you. No turn on red, yeah. Now, here's the deal. When you get to a, you definitely, when no turn on red, you're not going to turn left into traffic, right? You're going to turn right. But in Atlanta, pretty much every intersection, it was like legit. Like you could do that all the time. So you'd stop, sort of, <laughs> and then you'd do your thing, right? You'd turn on red, right? I mean, it was kind of like a, a yield sign almost in Atlanta. Now, I, I, I got to tell you, um, I'm going to confess to you far away from the Bethlehem police that I, I kind of ignore those signs still. I can't, I can't help it. I can't reprogram myself. Now, I, I know you can make a case that it's a good idea to not turn on red, okay? that you should, should wait, and, and that's better, and that's safer, but oh, it just doesn't seem to make sense. Now, I, I know there are, are consequences, and I know there's potential danger, 
But I still ignore the signs. Now, this morning, uh, we're going to dig deeper into the, prod- uh, the parable of the prodigal son. And today, we're, this morning, we're going to put the, the spotlight on the younger brother. Now, this younger brother knew the choice he was about to make was a mistake. He knew it. He knew it. It was unheard of to ask for the inheritance before your father died. He, he knew the consequences, but he did it anyway. Here's what the scripture says from Luke 15. So then Jesus said, there was a man who had two sons. The younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of the property that will belong to me. So he divided his property between them. A few days later, the younger son gathered all he had and traveled to a distant country. And there he squandered, what a great word, he squandered his property in dissolute living. We'd spent everything... A severe famine took place throughout that country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country, who sent him to his field to feed the pigs. He would gladly have filled himself with the pods that the pigs were eating, and no one gave him anything. Let's stop there. The father had two sons. The first one we learn about is the younger one. And he seems to reflect all the birth order studies perfectly. (laughs) He's the baby. His mom probably didn't finish his baby book. (laughs) There aren't as many pictures of him on the wall at home. He didn't have the same rules as the other kids. But he's the baby. And babies expect a lot. Maybe he's a bit entitled, used to getting what he wants. And he took all that entitlement to his dad one day. And he did the unthinkable. He asked the father for his share of the inheritance. Now, in Middle Eastern culture, that, uh, that meant that the younger son, when he asked for that, that meant that the younger son was hoping, was saying that he can't wait for his dad to die. It's much more than meets the eye. It's not just a simple request. According to Jewish law, he was to get one-third of the father's stuff, and he wanted it. Now, everyone listening in that room who heard it would have gasped. No one did this. In fact, any Middle Eastern patriarch would have had the right to slap him on the face and send him away from the home. It was a disgraceful request. No one listening could have imagined it. But in that awkward moment, shocking moment, even more shocking was the father's response. Surely the father would tell him no. No brat, no baby, no entitled one, no. But he doesn't. 
And he could have. But he didn't. The father says yes, even though he knew the son would fail. Even though it broke his heart. The father agrees and he breaks up the family estate and the the neighbors can't believe it. The for sale sign goes up to sell part of the estate. What's happening? Rumors begin to spread. Can it be true that the son is telling the selling the land that has been in the family for generations? It's not a surprise that not many days later, the son takes off. He's an embarrassment, not only to his family, but to the whole community. Sons didn't do this. So he needed to leave quickly. He takes his money and he he runs. He's an embarrassment to his family to his community, and he's a disgrace to the father. We hear that he goes far away, and boy, does he go far away. Far away from his family, far away from his faith, far away from community. He goes far away. Now, we don't exactly know what happened in the distant country. Uh, that, That word that gets Translated dissolute really means extravagant. He was living it up. He was living large. And when you live extravagant, your money runs out fast. So while he's spending all of his money, the local economy is tanking. And so when he runs out of money, he can't even find any work. It's so bad that he doesn't have enough money to eat. You gotta wonder where all those people who he was probably partying with, where were they? He finally gets a job that's no honorable Jew would ever take. Feeding pigs. Remember kosher? This job was not kosher. This young son is is as far away from his former life as he possibly could be. And then he remembers his father. Here's what Luke continues to say. When the young son came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired hands have bread enough and to spare? But here I am dying of hunger. I'll get up and go to my father and I'll say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me like one of your hired hands. So he set off and went to his father. But while he was still far off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion. He ran and put his arms around him and kissed him. Then the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his slaves, Quickly, bring out a robe, the best one, and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet and get the fatted calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. 
He was lost, but now he's found. The son finally came to his senses. It can be pretty easy to misread that phrase, he came to his senses. I mean, was he really sorry? Not exactly. He didn't go back to the father to apologize. He was returning, asking for something else from his father. He was asking for a job. See, he never would have even thought to ask for forgiveness. He couldn't dream that coming home and being the son again would ever be possible. He has an economic solution, not a change of heart. He doesn't say, what have I done against my father? I'm ashamed of myself. I I broke my father's heart. It's not what he says. He says, my father's workers eat better than I do. He's hoping to get his father's blessing, to get a job, and to earn his way back to at least have food to eat. Maybe just maybe he could even pay some money back to his father. But there's a problem even making it to his father. He knew what was waiting for him in that community. Maybe you know Kenneth Bailey, a New Testament scholar who spent 40 years in the Middle East. Uh, Maybe you've known his work. He's now with the Lord. But he, he describes what would have happened to him. All the the Jewish sons knew that if they lost their family's inheritance and then tried to come back to their village, that the town elders would meet them with what was called the Kazaza ceremony. Here's what happened with that ceremony. They would confront him with a, a large clay pot full of burnt corn and nuts And then they would break the pot right in front of the son, and they would scream at him, you are cut off from your people. They would ban him from coming into the village, and and if he wouldn't leave, they, they would even consider killing him. The son knew that, but he was so desperate that it was worth it to try. Imagine what it would have been like coming back into town. He, he finally got close enough and he hoped he could find his father before the elders of the town would found, find him. And as he made that last turn, he saw something. He saw someone who was running towards him. A man who had his robe pulled up. That was getting everyone's attention and taking attention away from him. See, fathers didn't do that. It was disrespectful. You didn't want to show your legs. And then he realized it was his father running before anyone else could get to him. Running to meet him. Father embraced him. And kisses him. The son starts to ask for a job, but the father does so much more. He asks him to come home. Son, you are my son. He doesn't say you were lost and now you have to come home. He says you were lost, but now I found you. 
You were dead, but now you are living. I hope that makes you think of a shepherd finding a sheep and a woman finding the coin. And then finally, the son can truly repent. See, only because the father has made room for him can he now be fully forgiven. How beautiful that at the beginning, the son essentially pronounces the father dead when he asks. But now, in this grand reversal, the father pronounces the son alive. This parable has a message for the prodigals. You can't come to the father on your own terms. The son, he came back and he thought that the very best way to win back a relationship with his father was to present kind of a business plan. He pulled out his PowerPoint and he thought, oh, my plan's foolproof. He'll pay his dad back everything and he'll, he'll get his standing back in the town again. But that is not the way God works. See, the father has already run after you. He's already saved you from what you deserved. He already did for you what you could never do for yourself. The father already had the plan set. He'd been waiting for this day. And so the son had to put down his plans and just receive the love of the father. He didn't deserve it, and he never would. You know, there are so many ways that we try to manage God. We think, oh, I can be a prodigal through my fun years, and, and then I'll get back to God. We say, well, come back to him when we're ready. We say we can give God just a, a day of our week and every other, uh, well, and not even maybe every, every week, well, maybe every other week. We'll hit church and check the box. That's not the way it works. See, God wants all of you. He wants all of you. He isn't impressed with your accomplishments and he isn't afraid of your failures. He wants you to let him throw you the party. He wants you to put down your, your groveling or your game plan, and he just wants you to receive grace. Ever thought about what grace is? One of my dear friends, his Sunday school, taught, Sunday school teacher when he was in third grade taught him this. I love this acronym. Take your hand out. Ready? God's riches at Christ's expense. I love that definition. I've never heard it before. Say it again with me. God's riches at Christ's expense. See, Jesus got stripped of his robe and went to the cross so that the Father could give you a robe and you could live forever. See, you're always the daughter to the Father. You'll always be that. You know, if you're a mom, you've said it a million times to your child. If, 
If you're a child, you've probably heard your parents say it to you. You will always be my little girl. How many of you have said that? How many of you have heard that? See, even though the father knew the son would fail, even though the son had embarrassed his dad, even though the son had broken his heart, the father never gave up on the son. He would always be his son. The father never stopped loving. He never stopped hoping. He never stopped looking. Years ago, there was a young man, and he was riding on a train, and he had a suitcase underneath his seat, and that was true for many of the other passengers. But something was different about him. Every few minutes, he would get up, and he would pace up and down the aisle, and then he would go and sit down. It was very clear that he had a lot on his mind. Ever since he was a teenager, he hadn't gotten along with his parents. He had rebelled in every way possible. And finally, one poignant night of fighting, he announced to his parents that he was leaving, and there was no arguing. He walked out the door, never to come back. He packed a suitcase, and he walked. Living on his own didn't go too well. He, he, he wandered from town to town, from job to job. He was absolutely miserable. He could barely make ends meet. And one night, he, he, he was out with some buddies drinking, and they decided that they were going to rob this liquor store, and they got caught, and he ended up in jail. At the end of that jail term, he decided to write home to his parents he told them about prison, and he told them about all the mistakes he had made since he left home. He told them he was sorry for leaving, sorry for that night. And at the end of the letter, he told them that he would absolutely understand if they never, ever wanted to see him again. Then he wrote, he said, I'm, I'm going to be passing by on the train through our hometown. See, his, his house was just off the tracks. He told them, if, if you want to see me, tie something white out on the trees. And if I don't see anything white, he wrote, I'll, I'll just head on through to the next town and you'll never hear from me again. You can imagine why he was pacing. Minutes passed and, and he got closer and closer to his town and closer to his parents' verdict I mean, what would happen if there was nothing white hanging on that tree? As he got closer, he, he pressed his head up against the window looking. Would there be anything white on the tree? He got the surprise of his life. His mom and dad had emptied their house of every towel, every washcloth, every bedspread, every piece of underwear. Everything white in their house was out there. Here's a tree. That doesn't even give it justice. You know, you've never seen a quicker response. The son grabbed his suitcase, jumped off the train car. He dragged his suitcase up the hill to his house, only to be met by his mom and dad who ran to greet him. Friends, that's what the father is like. The cross literally emptied heaven's linen closet so that we would know he wants us to come home. 
no matter what. The Father wants us home. See, here's what happens. Prodigal, extravagant, meets prodigal. What that means is extravagant living meets extravagant loving. Which changes the son's trajectory forever. God so loved the world that he sent Jesus into the world. See, what allows you to come home is expensive. See, Jesus had to give his life so that you could live. And if you believe that, it changes everything. It changes everything. I was telling Sharon at, at breakfast this morning a little bit about uh, my son, John. Uh, he's a senior uh, there at Wake, and, you know, I can't believe that my kids are a junior and senior. I mean, what happened? I don't know how that happened. I used to have people telling me that the days are long and the years go by fast, and now I'm telling people the exact same thing because it's true. You can't stop it. Well, my uh, son, uh, uh, just seems like it was just a few years ago, uh, looked like this. That's my little four-year-old, four-year-old John. See, John always has loved dancing. Isn't that cute? Uh, when he was little, I, I started teaching him some pretty good dance moves, but it, it was kind of awkward. See, um, in order to do the pretzel... Um, you know, or to do a twirl, in order for me to get underneath those little bitty arms of his, I had to duck and make it all work. So you, you can imagine, I mean, you, you know the deal. You're trying to do this, and uh, I was a lot younger then, so I could bend a little bit better. But it, it, it didn't work that great. The truth is, when we were dancing, I had to lead. Now, John's, between his sophomore and his junior year of high school, John grew eight inches in a summer. <laughs> it was a very painful summer. We went through a lot of milk, chocolate milk, and a lot of pizzas. But he grew eight inches. He's now six feet tall. You know, we still dance a lot, but this time it's a, a lot different. Now when I want to do the pretzel, guess what? It's really easy. I'm looking up to him, and we're doing the pretzel. And he can even dip me. I'm a little scared of that still, but, but he likes to do that. He likes to show off. <laughs> Small John, I lead. Six feet tall John, he leads. You know, when the father is small in your life, it is very easy to take over lead. To be in control of your life and to have your own agenda and your own plans and your own ideas and your own ways. I mean, you take God's place when you do that. And that eventually leads you to a very far away place from the father. But if the father is big in your life, if he's big, he leads your life. He's in control even when things seem out of control. 
He, he leads you in your pain and your brokenness and your emptiness and your crashed dreams and your addictions and your wasted opportunities and your poisonous words. He is bigger than your mistakes. See, if you've settled for a small God, you are totally missing out on what Jesus has for you. He has so much more for you. But if you want it, if you want what he has to offer, he has to lead. And that's the last word for the prodigal. You have to let the father be the father. You have to be the son or the daughter, but he has to be the father. Are you a younger brother? Did you used to be one? Is your child one? Will your church be a church where there's room for these younger brothers? I love this image of the, the, the father meeting the son. See, the younger brother was right when he came to the father. He didn't know how right he was. He was right when he thought he wasn't worthy. None of us are. But God so loved the prodigals. God so loved me. God so loved you. God so loved the world that he sent his son Jesus into it. Now like we did yesterday, our musicians are going to come on up and they're going to be playing for us as we spend a few minutes reflecting on a few questions. Here they are. There they are. Do you believe that God loves you? Mm. I think there's some out there that don't. Do you believe it? Second question. Do you think that you have to earn his love? Tip, you can't. Are you a prodigal? Are you praying for a prodigal? Spend a few minutes just bathing in those questions. You can close your eyes or you can um, just look at those questions. But spend a few minutes thinking about those. And I'll come back up and pray for us. Father, you know every heart here. You know those that, that ran away years ago. You know those that are still running. You know those of us who are praying for a prodigal in our own family. By your spirit, would you help each prodigal here and those that we love know that you are a good father. You're ready to love us, ready to hold us, ready to bring us home. God, show us how to build our life, not on so many other things that we could, but on your love. We pray in Jesus' name.